Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jim Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game, and we're here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. I am Mark, and with me are Jen. Hello. As well as Bob. Ribbit. <laughs> it's about how it feels after a convention, like a right? After Gary Con. And we have a very special guest with us as well, Mr. Michael Curtis. Greetings, sneak thieves and alley bashers. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, it's great to have you here. lovely and thematic. So thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be back. It's been a while. It is good to have you back. There's 100% more Mark Brunner. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Yay. And as you may expect, based on our guest, tonight we are scooping the author of Goodman Games' newest DCC project, Dungeon Crawl Classics Lankmar. Lankmar is a fictional city in the Fofford and Grey Mouser stories by Fritz Leiber. It is situated in the world of Newan, just west of the Great Salt Marsh and east of the River Halal, and serves as the home of Leiber's two anti-heroes. It is richly described as a populous, labyrinthine city, rife with corruption, decadent and squalid in roughly equal parts, and said to be so shrouded by smog that the stars are rarely sighted. Lankmar is a dark, dark place, and the basis for every fantasy you've read ever since. And so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Okay, I'm biased at this point, sorry. <laughs> I think I have some vested interest in this, in this as well. Yeah, so, but... <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I actually have a pertinent question to some information that might be in a particular Kickstarter, which, you know, we can jump into details of that website in a couple minutes but it lists your reading suggestions like a sampler like starting with the jewels in the forest which is the first one he wrote right what makes you pull the, the list of three stories that you did well i was asked for three and obviously there's more than 40 so uh it was really difficult to kind of nail that down i chose jewels in the forest because that was the first published one so i figured that was probably the best way for someone unfamiliar to come into it um they coming into it kind of free of all the baggage and, and what have you so uh that was that was a very good one it got the tone of uh the stories down pat it got the relationship between Fafford and mouser correct and it didn't do what a lot of the other stories do is that it breaks up the partnership. Uh, there's a lot of the stories where, you know, Fafford or Mouser, they, you know, one goes one way and one goes the other way or, you know, or Fafford bumps his head and, and he has to deal with the master thieves 
under Thieves' house and Mouser's running around, or, you know, Bizarre the Bizarre where Mouser gets kind of, you know, dragged into the Bazaar and he's going on his whole thing and Fafford's got to go save him. So uh, there is the kind of the, the ongoing thing of the, the two of them rescuing each other. But the Jewels in the Forest, it's kind of, we get to see them operating as a team through the entire story. So that made a good sense for that's where to start with them. Okay. Um, a story where the party so, doesn't get split. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that felt like a, a good way to start. You know, forgive me if I if I don't quote this incorrectly, but like, you know, in the year of the Leviathan, in the month of the hedgehog, on the day of the snake, you know, I mean, right there, you're already, oh, okay, this is obviously, this isn't Middle Earth, you know. So, uh, so it made it a nice <laughs> where to begin. So, okay. So. I think it follows with Lean Times and Lankmar and then the Lords of Cornwall. Yes. Okay, I totally get that last one. Okay, that's a novella anyway. The Lords of Cornwall was actually begun, the first 30,000 words of that was written by Harry Otto Fisher, who is the co-creator of Fafford and the Green Master, and was uh, good buddies with Fritz Leiber. But for one reason or another, um, Fisher never finished it, and Leiber picked it up, and he, in his own words, became the official chronicler of uh, Fafford and the Grey Mouser, which led to 50 years of writing Fafford and Grey Mouser stories. I figured that was a good one, because that's where both of them were involved in, and it's just a great story to begin with. Again, it's, it's a situation where the two of them are split up, Fafford is working for one of two political factions who are at war with each other in the subterranean realm of Ormal, and Mouser is looking, working for the other one. That's a, a good, entertaining, fun story. The reason I chose uh, Lean Times and Lankmar is, again, because you, it is a great introduction to the way that Lankmar is different from most other fantasy cities. Uh, their quaint little customs of the uh, the way that religion works in the city. Okay. And it's also it's, it's a commentary on the way fame works in the real world, because Liber being a uh, the son of a professional stage actor and had done some acting and had friends in Hollywood, lived in lived in L.A. for a while. It's his sly commentary, not only on religion, but the way that fame and, and its fickleness work. So I, it's just a, it's just a great story anyway. So out of the 40, those are the three I picked. Unlike everything put out by, you know, the Marvel Expanded Universe, I didn't think we needed to start with an origin story. I, I, I thought we could just dive right in and we kind of figured it out as things go. So. When you were developing the, the Kickstarter, out of those 40 stories, how many did you read and how many did you reread? I know you've been putting a lot of work this the last two years, but you must have read just to... Yes. Okay. <laughs> just yes. maybe. I, uh, I, the, the, the number we've kind of gone is I've read all the stories twice. And uh, I've read all of the Lankmar-based stories three times. So we, we, we kind of put it down. I've read the entire canon 2.5 times. Um, okay. And uh, and that includes a couple, like, ancillary stories. Like, uh, there was a there's a short story that uh, Harry Otto Fisher wrote for Dragon Magazine. Basically, like, the likely childhood of the Grey Mouser. Uh, the childhood and youth of. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, so, he uh, didn't like Liber's version of, of Mouser's origin. Yeah. Right, and justifiably well, because uh, that would be the Unholy Grail, which didn't begin as a as a as a Mouser story. So hmm. now, while you were reading all of this, you read all of the official stuff. Did you end up reading any of the licensed stuff? I mean, Fafford and the Grey Mouser have written like Conan comics. They've appeared in Wonder Woman. They've had their own books. Did you read any of that as well, or did you just stay pure liber? There was the the one with Mike uh, Mike Magnola did the art for. They re-released those stories in a trade paperback, but I, I had those kicking around. And those are just comic adaptions, or let's like, say graphic novel adaptions of the stories. It's not new material. Uh, so... I didn't track. I didn't track down the one where they appear in like Wonder Woman. You know, I mean, although you know, I would be interested in checking out that someday. But so you read the old Epic Comics ones from the nineties. Uh, I, I guess that was, was like Ilmet and Lankmar and uh, Bazaar the Bazaar, Lean Times and Lankmar. Those are the ones by yeah. pencil by Magnola. Yeah, those were fantastic. Right. 
Right. Those are ones I read. And then I read the, uh, again, off the top of my head, Robin Wayne Bailey. He did Swords Against the Shadowland that was approved by uh, Liber. So, yes. So that ancillary stuff I did read. And, and I add those in the in the 2.5. <laughs> so. Fantastic. Now, I, I will put my two cents in here and say that if you know you're in it for the long haul and you want to read all of the Fawford and Grey Mouser stories, mm-hmm. I read them all in collected publication order, which goes chronological by their lives, as opposed to the publication date. Right. That way, you get everything in order, you're not jumping around and, oh, there are 30 over here, there are probably like 50 over here, and oh, you're talking about all this crap that happened so far, and, and uh, uh, hey, wait, you get kind of lost in it. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, one of my favorites among those was The Howling Tower. It was just nice and dark, and it wasn't even set in Lankmar, and it was nice and dark. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. That was one of the ones where, when I was first exposed to the inhabitants of Nawan and Lankmar, the astral hounds, as they were described in the old deities and demigods, was just like, okay, what's the story behind this? And uh, I remember when I finally got my hands on the Howling Tower story, I was like, oh, all right, I, this is kind of trippy. So I like this. So no, I, I I actually I like I like the depiction that Bignola did in those epic ones because there's a great scene where a mouse finds Fafford and he has all the bandages on him, although he doesn't have any wounds yet and the, the reason for that is is described wonderfully in the story like you know why why bandage him up if he's feeling fine well because we're about to find out <laughs> you've done so much work and you're kind of i i have found as we've been doing the playtest you're certainly kind of a completist when it comes to <laughs> looking at the whole picture and i i really appreciate that and because of that you've added several new uh, components and mechanics for DCC, specifically for Lankmar, like fleeting luck, carousing, neighborhood building, of all of the new things that are being put into DCC, specifically for Lankmar, what is your favorite new mechanic? I, it's got to be fleeting luck. Even if you don't play a game set in day one, if you don't play DCC Lankmar, that will spread to just kind of core DCC gaming. Yes. Uh, and it's, it was one of those few aspects of that that it worked like as intended right out the gate. There wasn't a great amount of tweaking to that. It was just, it was like, okay, this is working as we want it to be doing. We spent a lot of time discussing the luck economy in DCC and how we wanted to reflect that in Lankmar. Uh, and once we had the idea of like, okay, you can gain luck really easy, but you can lose it just because somebody rolls, you know, a one and it's suddenly like, oh crap, all right, we're, we, we're, there goes all our luck. So um, we really wanted to have a mechanic in that allowed you to pull off these really cool stunts and get you that kind of swashbuckling flavor that uh, are in the Fafford and Mouser stories. But without the the risk of like, oh, I have all my luck, you know, I've done all these cool things, I'm going to basically turn it into a convention game. In the big fight at the end, I'm going to burn through all this luck and just stomp all over the bad guy. Which was part of the importance of a campaign play test to see how that played out over time. And I gotta say, having been a player, not the judge, I think it made for a better game overall because all of the people at the table became cooperative as opposed to just in it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Because you can spend your own fleeting luck for somebody else if need be. Right. God knows you want to spend that stuff before it gets pulled back in when someone rolls a one, so it really... Which is en- always going to happen. Yes. Yeah. So it encourages you to play with and for your fellow players. It also helps that 
that interactive storytelling. Yes. It's that character or that player responding to the judge, that interaction that that fleeting luck really brings out, at least in the early versions that I, I think I played tested. Which I think it stayed pretty consistent, like you said, Mike, from very early in the beginnings, like some of the early North Texas RPG convention games that you did where fleeting luck was part of that component. And like I said, it really seems to, to make that player involvement in the storytelling aspect be brought to the forefront, which is a really neat thing to see. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest change we did for luck is to let people start with luck. Because when, oh, like, right. yeah, I guess like when we first started running, like you had to kind of earn that first point, and just kind of priming the pump with that one point made a world of difference. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, so I think that was the biggest change, <laughs> to be honest. But well, and there was another mechanic in there that I think. Well, there's several mechanics I, that I will certainly use in, in any fantasy game I run. But I know there's one in there that we actually didn't use in playtest that I think a lot of people who want to play like the Conan-style barbarian in any DCC game, you know, there's the Armorless Warrior rules, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So now you've got official DCC rules that you can use for something like that. And I think that's a really nice addition as well. I actually had one of the players in my off-book game this past week at Gary Con. He took that option. Oh, fantastic. Didn't hurt that he started out with crap for starting gold. But I actually, <laughs> you know, for a change from the regular Con game, these were people that had contacted me ahead of time. So we kind of set something up so it was official, even though it was off the books. And I ran them through CareGen first. So we worked a way out so you can, you know, you can run around with just your leather jerkin on and, and still not have to worry about being you know, smash in the face every six seconds. So well, yeah, because um, it seems like half the time Fafford's fighting, he's doing it without pants, so... Right. <laughs> How do they do that in the cold waste, man? <laughs> Very carefully. Uh, let me ask this, heading over to the Kickstarter for a second, because there's this wonderful grand final stretch goal. Right. Um, and when the, if the stretch goal is met, you are actually going to spend a week in Texas going through the archived personal papers of Fritz Leiber in hopes of finding something new that can be used to, to create new content. Is that basically the longest word of it? Now, at the What's New with Goodman Games seminar, you mentioned there is a, a box just marked game with a question mark. That is correct. That is correct. And and I don't know what that is until I get there. Um, you know, they. Why you... aren't you there already? <laughs> do Do you think that might actually be possibly? Because you don't know. But I know in thirty seven, Liber and Fisher created a war game set with that's correct. Uh, new one. And if that is what it is, do you think like Warriors of the Purple Planet, we might eventually see a Warriors of No One combat game? Um, let's just say the idea has been tossed around about the possibility of if that would be feasible. Let's put it that way. It's not something that would necessarily be completely in our control because I don't know all the details on the back end of, you know, what are exactly, um, what what our boundaries in the, the license might allow. So I can't say for certain. Would I like to see that? Yes. Uh, I would like to see that very much. On the other hand, though, I would say that that questionable folder being the, you know, whatever version or, you know, rules for the, the Lankmar war game that he and uh, that Liber and Fisher came up with back in the 30s, I would probably give that maybe a 15% chance. And I would okay. say the other 85% chances that might be an early draft of uh, the TSR Lankmar Cities of Adventure uh, manuscript. Uh, for the first uh, for the first uh, AD&D supplement that they did. 
or it might even just be the rules for uh, the Lankmar uh, board game that they put, that TSR put out. Right, back so. in like the 70s. Well, and yeah. obviously, I mean, when you're going through the papers, I'm sure that's not your primary focus. I'm sure you're going to be looking for story fragments or anything else that hasn't seen the light of day. No, that, that's the first box I'm asking for. Like, all right, give me box 17. Bring that out right now. I want to see what's in there. <laughs> You know, I mean, again, we'll, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm hopeful we'll, we will hit that stretch goal, and then we'll find out. We'll put uh, b- boots on the ground, and uh, and uh, we shall see what there is to see. So. I've got to say, for a pie-in-the-sky stretch goal, I'm really excited about, about the possibility. I think such a unique opportunity for the Kickstarter to build to that point where content could be created from something that has never been seen before, and that's such right. a wonderful opportunity for everybody getting involved in the Kickstarter. It's as close as we can get to you know co-authoring something with Liber now that he is, he, he is no longer with us. Well, and then moving forward, pie in the sky all blue sky thinking for you mr curtis uh-huh. once this kickstarter is done right and looking to the future is this something that you know so so long as it's got legs we might see either further box sets or books covering other areas and no one have there been talks of that sort of possibility oh like like something for a different region perhaps well, I've already submitted to Joseph Goodman a like a potential list of maybe a half dozen or more products uh, that you know, I would like to see. Assuming that you know the DCC Lankmar is embraced uh, by the by the public and it's still profitable to you know keep the keep the license going and what have you. Um, but yeah, but I mean, we from the very beginning we said okay, we're going to just start with Lankmar uh, because it is the most you know it's the most iconic. It's it's the the part of Nawan that everybody knows and everybody you know more stories occur there than everything every anywhere else and that would be kind of our, our entry point and then from there we would expand you know incrementally with different supplements or you know I, I don't know if we're going to be doing more box sets or not but you know it depends on what we crank out with so yeah so uh, there's a, like a couple of little things I would like to do would be I would love to see it like a Quarmall book or box set uh, uh-huh. which is basically you know a giant mega dungeon with like a political element to it you know the boring factions going back and forth and then we can introduce new um we can introduce, like, you know, uh, if you want to play somebody from Quarmall, if you want to play, like, an escape slave from Quarmall, like, you know, you're kind of the Bendisons and Dooms you can roll on for that. Or, you know, if you want to be someone from the Jungles of Clash, because that's right next door, you know, okay, you know, more information on Clash. Oh, nice. And then, you know, gradually move out from there, depending on what people want to do. And, and you know, we obviously we could do a book that's just on the Cold Waste and Stardock. Uh, so, you know, there, there's that possibility. We can do a whole one on the Mingle Steps and the City of the Ghouls, the Empire of the East. Of course, you know, the further we get away from kind of like the central region of Lankmar, the more stuff we kind of have to make out of whole cloth. But yeah, I mean, if there's interest there, I still want to write the uh, the quintessential uh, supplement detailing the City of Ulrusp, which is my favorite name for a uh, fantasy city ever. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> And the Mad Duke? The Mad Duke, yes. Yeah, so actually, we know more about Ulf Rusp than anywhere else. Um, but we do, so we do know about the Mad Duke and his uh, him him putting pitting people uh, in his gladiatorial game for his own entertainment. And so I've got a couple of ideas of what we could do with that. Well, and you had yeah. me at City of Ghouls because now I'm thinking no one ghoul as playable class, and and you've got me there. <laughs> yes, yeah, we, yeah. Ghoul is not playable out of the gate, uh, but you know, never say never. Uh, so, well, it, at least not officially. People are always no. going to make their own stuff up to go with us, which uh, people... we wholeheartedly encourage. <laughs> DCC players making up stuff out of whole cloth. I know, I... right? <laughs> <laughs> so hey, on that note, we could actually bump over to. Uh, well, you know, we've got this segment that we usually just informally title, you know, things to stat. 
but I have this sneaky feeling that pretty much all the major stuff that you're going to come across might already be taken care of. Probably. So... Mr. Curtis is a completist. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there that I haven't seen Vlana statted yet. Um... Yes, uh, she has uh, She has initiative of minus 10, and uh, she has an attack of minus 10. Okay, and, no, no, uh, no. She, she, has, she has no hit points because she's dead. Armor class of one. Buzzkill. I mean, it, it, it's really kind of interesting because we've seen some of these character names come through in other DCC stuff already. We've mm. seen Ivrian in Daniel Bishop's The Imperishable Sorceress. Right. Glipcario has been done, though I think Job gave him far more power than Liber did. <laughs> well, yes. these were all written before we officially got the license. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I, using a character name, it, it's more of an homage. But, you know, I, right. I don't know. I I, I kind of think the snow women are kind of cool. You know, Fawford's family. I, give me some spells and curses from them. There are a couple of ideas about, like, the snow women and things that I would like to do with that, or or rather not necessarily do uh, myself, but perhaps get somebody to do at another point. But that's a little bit further down the road, and we'll see where that kind of goes. I don't want to talk too much about it right now, but... Uh, we can title this Jen's Informal Wish List, and I'll just throw more rat snake in there for the hell of it. Okay. Rat snake! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Having run a playtest campaign, I just love to write up the neighborhood that my game took place in. I had a lot of fun creating the neighborhood. Oh, God. Because of the tools for creating it and generating the names, it's sort of be a crime not to. It maybe write up some of the things that appear in Robin Wayne Bailey's novel, like, you know, just a group of Ilthmar thieves that are slumming in Lankmar, or uh, optional plague rules. Uh, okay. little, little things like that to kind of uh, put together to bring to the table. There's so much that's just infinitely fun. Anything with the, the nice urban feel to it yeah yeah plague rules would be great personally i don't remember which book it appears in but there's this nice speech by loki and i was like that would be kind of a cool read aloud section in a module somewhere but i also want a map of thieves house so uh doug get on that why is thief house shaped like a fist with one finger sticking out? Why is, why is... that's the main hallway <laughs> Yeah, that's, that, uh, yeah. If we hit that stress goal, we're gonna. Co- I'm pretty sure we'll cover the thieves' house in uh, twelve do- in the dozen, not twenty in the twelve dozen. No, in the dozen interesting uh, Lankmar uh, locations, not the twelve dozen. But that's a challenge. I don't know quite how we're going to do that because it's described in one story as being really straightforward. Uh, you know, it's a long hallway, and then there are all little, you know, like, you know, the, the thief training halls on either side of it. And then you go up a staircase to, like, the third floor, and there's another long hallway. And then and the, uh, the thief's house story itself, uh, it's this rambling maze that, you know, F- you know, Pfeffer falls down a flight of stairs, and, and they're running around back and forth. So it's obviously that the thief's house is much larger than it appears. I guess we're limited by graph paper. So, <laughs> so. I, perfect for Doug. That's what, uh, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure. He's I'm sure gonna kick my ass next time he sees me. 
<laughs> Doug and I have Doug and I have discussed the, the product a lot over the last two years. Uh, Harley, Doug, and I informally had a well, not informally, well, we, we were actually doing it. We had a secret Google Plus community that we kind of hashed things over, and then um, every time Doug and I were together, we would you know talk like Mar. So yeah, so because the three of us loved the set, we loved the material, and uh, we were approaching the project with a great deal of honor, and uh, we wanted to do the best. Like right out of the gate was to do the best version of like Mar the world has ever seen so um that was our design goal and i hope everybody will say uh say yes uh you guys did what you set up to do it's really well thought out and you know, just can't say enough how, how fun it was to play in some of those you know early playtest events so i'm really looking forward to the final product good good I'm, I'm glad you had fun that was that was our that was our intent we could have rushed something out the door we have we have the license for x amount of years or whatever and we could have been oh let's rush let's do you know four like products a year uh and we'll just use dcc and we'll, we'll just we'll just write adventures set in like mar and uh and we could have done that, um, but we didn't because we actually wanted to do something good. So uh, we spent the time to kind of tinker <laughs> and make sure that the rules reflected the stories. And and uh, in that function, we had an advantage, as I say, in I believe you know one of the countless interviews or forwards or whatever that I've written or discussed about the project is that we the advantage was that we were we were beginning with the DCC system, which was written from the ground up to tell these types of stories so it wasn't so much we had to rewrite the rules or or bend the rules to fit the setting is that we could just tweak the world the rules a little bit to uh evoke the uh the sections of what we wanted to now were you aware there was recently the uh, dcc portuguese translation crowdfunding effort and i don't know if you followed that or not i knew it was being done uh, were you aware I... that among the stretch goals they hit they're going to be translating Masks of Lankmar through Ningomble's Cave and Patrons of Lankmar are all being translated into Portuguese. Oh, oh. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Uh, they hit a lot of stuff. And all three of the Lankmar products that have been released to date are being translated. I thought that was really, really neat. Oh, that's cool. I was not aware of that. That really sounds like they need somebody to be a creative consultant for that entire process. So they should really, you know, fly me down to Brazil and uh, <laughs> you know, put me up in a wonderful hotel for a while and uh, and everybody can come hang out and we'll play. Uh, <laughs> Jogo and, uh, would be all about that. You know that yes. in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it's about time I come down there and visit them. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, I figure if, I, if I'm going to Houston, I'm like halfway there, right? You know? I mean, <laughs> coming from New York, it's just, you know, I just keep going left. Wait, you're, you're, you're looking at them our Doug Kovacs maps again. <laughs> oh, man. One question I had, Mike, that, you know, kind of pertains to how you went about this project is what lessons learned did you have from when you created Shutter Mountains and, and how that evolved as a, you know, kind of an independent setting versus a setting that has a basis in novellas and short stories and things like that. Can you can you kind of compare those two processes? And Yeah, yeah there was actually, I'm, I'm very glad that uh, I had done the uh, the Chain Coffin before we tackled this because I, a lot of what I did on the Chain Coffin proved to be very pertinent uh, when I was doing the, the Lankmar stuff. Because when I sat down to do the Chain Coffin, I wanted to do something that was, you know, not a direct correlation to like the works of Manly Wade Bowman, 
Wellman, but very evocative of the same type of setting and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went back and I read the Manly Way Wellman short stories. And as I was doing so, I had a, a composition notebook with me. And I would just kind of jot down details, little notes from the stories, even, even sometimes just uh, vocabulary or uh, descriptions on, on how things were presented in the stories because I, I was trying to get that tone correct. So, uh, and then when I was writing the story, I would go back and take a look at this, like, uh, even if it was just something like, okay, a name that sounded very, you know, Appalachian or uh, a little bit of folklore or something, you know, I could draw upon that and kind of work that into the story. When I found out I was going to be lead writer on uh, DCC Lankmar, which uh, I didn't know going into it, uh, I thought it was going to be this big kind of group collaborative effort. And then it turned out I knew the most. So, uh, hey, uh, guess who got to be lead developer? Um, <laughs> I, I, I went back and I reread all those 40 plus stories and poems and novellas and what have you and did the same thing. For every story that I went through, I would jot down like little notes and um, this is the first appearance of this character or, you know, this is how Lankmar, or this is how Lankmar is described here or this is the description we get for uh, Fafford the Mouser. Uh, so I filled up like almost two composition notebooks. I have book one and book two, which covers the entire canon. That became my design Bible. So doing that with the Wellman, I, I kind of applied the same process when I was doing uh, Lankmar and uh, it was it was very useful. So things that we can look forward to seeing in the estate of Michael Curtis years down the line. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be collector items. Yeah, that's it. When I get harder for cash, I will sell those. (laughs) Watch collectors. It'll be reposited in some university in in Brazil. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the next generation can go on that pilgrimage. Right. <laughs> shall we shall we move to the props and audio section? Maybe think about things we can literally put on the table or uh, have playing about. Sure. Yeah. What? I, th- I think the A number one prop that every table needs is a copy of Rat Snake. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's just a, a lovely little game. And Mike, if you could, because I, I think I've heard this maybe bits and pieces of the story, but just how did the concept for that game come about when you guys were planning it for the Gen Con release last year? It came out as I got an email from Joe saying, hey, uh, I've, I've talked to a guy who does dice and he could do customizable dice. Is there some sort of dice thing we could do for Lankbar? So I said, I said, all right, uh, let me let me think about it. And then I got an email back from him and saying, we could do, we, they said, we can customize two faces on the dice. I'm like, okay, all right. So, <laughs> uh, so th- th- that it doubled my workload. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, so I was like, okay, all right. So we've obviously, it's Lankmar. It's got to be some sort of gambling game. It's got to be some sort of wagering game. So how are we going to do this? And I took my morning walk and uh, I would walk about, you know, 40, 45 minutes in the morning. And uh, by the time I came back, I had pretty much 95% of Rat Snake uh, in my head. So I came down and wrote it down and uh, we kind of tested it out and it seemed to work okay. And, uh, and then it was like, okay, uh, this is what we're going to do. And uh, we set it out to playtest and uh, playtesting people. And we looked at the odds and went, you know, in Vegas, they'd shoot you for recommending these odds. So we, we recommended some odds adjustments <laughs> so that the house doesn't right. lose. So you can tell how much time I spend in a casino. The, the, the last time I was in Atlantic City, I was there for a live action vampire game. So, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> and the, the last time I was in Vegas, I was at the airport waiting to waiting to connect to a different flight. So yeah, uh, so thank you very much for for uh, no, fixing my odds for me. I, you could also incorporate it as a game mechanic if you ever needed to settle a competition in your game, or there was some aspect of of that narrative that called for oh, you sitting definitely. down and, and doing that. Whether it, it, whether it's, it's between just... PCs or you know with an NPC even. 
Yeah, and it's, it's something the whole party can join in and do, which is kind of a, a fun thing. I've already started thinking of a few house rules for rat snakes, so if you think <laughs> if someone wants to cheat, oh, God. like that. <laughs> I have always been a big proponent of games within games. I, I always love that little, you know, that little different mechanism that's, you know, okay, we're playing this game as our characters, uh, you know, and, and it could go, go from anything from, I mean, the old DMG had all the rules for playing slots with dice and a whole bunch of gambling games. One of my favorite adventures that ever saw print is it was in an old dungeon magazine, one of the early ones, like dungeon, like seven or eight, something around there, single digits, one for, you know, straight, basic BXD&D, uh, called in the spottle parlor and uh the the player characters end up in this basically in this little kind of hole in the wall casino where they're playing this game called spottle which was a dice game and uh spottle is played with a giant frog in the center of the table who occasionally will eat your dice um, so, <laughs> so, well, that can't be good. if you change it to cat so, that will steal them any gamer could play it at home Yes. <laughs> so the uh, so the, I mean so the adventure has the rules for Foddle. So it was like okay, there's all this stuff going on, but you know, as as all this kind of like you know negotiation and willing dealing and double dealing is going on, you're there playing Spottle, and you know, and and it, will, it occasionally has in there. And if the player rolls in this round, the frog eats his dice. You know, so um, so yeah, so Rat Snake is kind of my homage in some level to to Spottle. And I noticed on day one of the Kickstarter, like four people in a row. How come Rat Snake isn't involved in this? And you so I took that question to the Dark Master himself, who said, mm-hmm. you know, shipping the tubes of dice with the books has not been working out so well. Right. Because they're yeah. so big. But it changes the postage rate, too. It changes right. it from book and rates. And so I kindly pointed out my tiny little pouch that I'd gotten as swag from Dungeon Games and said, look, there's eight dice and it fits really nicely in this little pouch. And so hopefully we can nudge him a little bit. <laughs> but but yeah, shipping Maybe. it together changes changes the rate. It makes shipping much more expensive. Yeah, and, and at that point when you add dice, it's no longer media mail. I understand. Yeah. That's why we didn't jump on that immediately. Uh, if you, you know, if the people are listening to this and they want their rat snake dice and they want it as part of the Kickstarter or as an add-on, the only thing I can say is make your voice known and uh, and if you're willing to pay extra for ch- shipping, um, you know, uh, you may have to. At the very, if the, at the very worst, if uh, if there's a big enough call for it, uh, maybe there'll be another order and they'll be available, you know, off the website or something. So even that would be ideal. Yeah. And it is a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's. it's- just to coincide with the release or the you know, momentum that the, the Kickstarter has, even if it's just available as part of an in-stock item, that'd be great. Right. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we'll make it happen. On when I started thinking about music and props, I'll start with props because the first thing I was like, you know, is there is there ever a setting that was meant more for the various like RPG related coins out there than this one? I mean, you know, oh, yeah. there's so many companies making coins, and you, you can have coins for Lankmark coinage from the Mingles, gold and silver from ancient troves, and there's all these companies. There's Fantasy Coins, Campaign Coins, Draw Lab, Stonemaier Games, uh, the Broken Token. And all of them make these really cool fantasy coins. And Dwarven Forge, even. Yeah. Uh, and so there's there's all of that out there. You could even, you know, if you really want to go all out, you could have someplace like Tokens Direct or Osborne Coinage. Mint tokens or coins for you. But, but from the brass tick to gold rilk, there's so many different neat little coins and of course, that kind of dovetails really nicely. You know, if you've got a rat snake game going, you can throw these various coins out. But the coinage is almost a character in Liber's stories to begin with, 
and so when I think of props, that's what I think of for, for Lankmar's coins. And mine comes to, like, a nice fabric map. Hmm. Funny Which we that. Which get as a stretch goal. Yeah. Right? <laughs> when I think about music, though... Uh, I think about Dead Can Dance, The Serpent's Egg, which has a lot of really yeah. weird, creepy tones. Lankmar's been compared to 16th century Seville. So Angelo, uh, let's see if I can get this right, Badalamenti's Dark Spanish Symphony, which uh, mm. is on the Blue Velvet soundtrack, is fantastic. It's got a great feel. Didn't he also do the? Didn't didn't he do the Twin Peaks soundtrack? Yes, he did. Oh, okay, I... yeah. If it's David Lynch, <laughs> he's generally involved. Mm. There's an artist. Al Marconi, and he's got a number of great uh, flamenco guitar numbers that are kind of exotic and feel heroic at the same time. And he does some Arabic-tinged flamenco guitar if you want to get kind of some of those darker recesses in Lankmar. Songs like uh, Gypsy, Nomad, Mysterio, and uh, Obsession kind of stick out. And if you really want to draw on the outlying areas beyond Lankmar... Arabic metal is definitely the way to go, I think. Uh, <laughs> Dracovalis is highly approachable because it's, it's an American-making metal that, that has an Arabic feel, but there's Akrasaquata from Iraq or Nerve Cell, which is doom metal from the United Arab Emirates. Jeez. If you want more metal to your campaign. And there's an album called Let Us All Unite from Anarcadia, and I, they're they're releasing albums from war torn Syria, and mm. uh, there's there's this great powerful depth to their music, and so if you're kind of the Urhadad, I want metal as my soundtrack. This is the stuff to go with. All right. Do Do you want to know the? You want to know at least for me what the unofficial soundtrack of yes, uh, please. Uh, yes. Yes. Like Mars? All right. This is this is uh, as far if it's uh, John think, Denver, I'm going to cry. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, it, there was there was a lot of one of the, the one of the early discussions that we had about um, about Lankmar. Uh, was what kind of what kind of city was it? And we basically came up to the fact is that you know the, where it was situated and stuff. We had kind of a Mediterranean vibe. We pictured the land of the eight city was definitely more European and and the way that Lankmar is described being a little bit more Mediterranean. So uh, when I was working on it, the unofficial soundtrack for it was the soundtrack to the first season of HBO's Rome. Oh. <laughs> There's some Arabic oh, influences on the music. There is, you know, there's a lot of drums and there's a lot of uh, like flute and uh, you know, like horns and stuff like that. So, uh, so that was that was what I have in the background when I was working on uh, the first stages of uh, DCC Langmore. Oh, there you go. And it's it's one of those kind of cities that's very cosmopolitan, also, right? You know, in the sense of what they were trying to go for in that that series. So, yeah, right. That's correct. And so, it worked pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. When you were talking about the cold women and cold corner you know, kind of what that evoked for me a little earlier was, wasn't it that with Farped, was, wasn't he a scald yes. uh, to begin with? Mm. That, that made me really think of Icelandic folk music and sort of these uh, oh, you know, yeah. poetry or readings of like Edda poems. And there's there's a number of good, you know, bands that do traditional folk music from Iceland. I thought that would be a kind of a nice... Oh, definitely. You know, I can't see how I didn't setting. even think of that. That that would be fantastic. Because you didn't start with the origin story? Well, I, I, I <laughs> did, but I didn't when I was writing my notes. <laughs> <laughs> There's an artist, uh, Gilia Ferlango, more, um, how do I put this, uh, current, actually, performing the Renaissance Fair circuit. He's got an album called Oracle, and the beginning tracks, you know, the intro and through the market square really set the mood. 
And I really kind of wish I had that on Thursday, because uh, yesterday at the airport, I had one of those players tell me that sitting there in that dim, snug section of the lounge, that everyone's all packed in tight into the benches, and it really felt like they were in one of the the seedy bars. And <laughs> with that light, it just really set the mood. But, you know, on the flip side, if you're on the water or heading into Sigmorgia, you can't go wrong with sea shanties, really. You can never go wrong with sea shanties. I'm just going to You, you can find some mingle sea shanties. shanties. I am almost positive of it. <laughs> mingle sea shanties. Oh, God. Okay, so now I'm okay, going to so Mongolian throat shanties. Oh. Right, right. Yes. That's, all right that, A little that, more reclusive, but I'm sure they're out there. Oh, that's that maybe I don't know, Jen. When you mentioned CD bars, any any time that there's a game of Lankmar DCC going on next to a, a game of Dogstown, is that what <laughs> Doug Coburn? Dogstorm. Oh. <laughs> no, Dogstorm. That's no. that's a pretty seedy place, uh, <laughs> even if it's in the Dog Grand Storm. Geneva. Right. I, yeah, I was going to say like yeah, the Grand Geneva is about as far as you can get from like CD bar as you know is as humanly possible. <laughs> but the lighting yes. was just right. I just needed the soundtrack, man. <laughs> All right, should we just skip to our uh, our feature then? Let's head over towards our feature, I think, for the show, yes. And of course, it should be no surprise that our featured adventure is Basques of Lankmar. Conveniently, it's set in Lankmar. No small crimes? <laughs> I like no small crimes, too. But, you know, that one's not out yet. We can't no, really okay. talk about that at all. Yeah, we tried to stick with something that's already been published so that uh, okay. people can read it and see the comparisons. Although people are really in for a treat when they open that box set and get no small crimes. That's that's a great adventure. (laughs) A heist gone wrong brings an unlikely group of thieves together and sets off a search for forgotten treasures hidden in the city of the Black Toga. Can our heroes of questionable moral character survive the twisting chase that leads through the Plaza of Dark Delights, crosses paths with Shilba of the Eyeless Face, and delves into one of the oddest tenements in Lankmar? Not if the Thieves Guild has their way. Now, this is the first adventure released in this line. Yes. And is level yes. one. Yes, because yes. there's no funnel for Lankmar. You start with, it's it's called a meat. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, there is no funnel in Lankmar if you were playing a literary campaign. There okay. you go. And Mark, is this the one that you got to play? I did. I got to play this maybe two years ago in North Texas. Mm-hmm. It was my introduction to Lankmar. And I thought it's really really impressive way to set the tone for the players because you're meeting one of the you know the the potential patrons that you you might have getting sent by Shelba to go and do these errands and do these you know recoveries of these uh these artifacts and and you're sent to you know essentially what's like the thieves den of almost like a shanty town you know where you have to uh, navigate the through the different political factions that are there or it's just very evocative of the the city and the setting and I, I and I really enjoy this adventure. It's amazing how it lends itself to being open to imaginative, just the the perspective that different people can take out of it, and the personalities that can almost be imbued into this location, depending on who's reading it. Because I read it, and I'm going, I'm not going to run this successfully. I don't know, man. And then you both gave it such life, and yep, judges can run the same exact thing differently. It still ends up good, but it's different. 
Uh, I think that applies to Lankmar entirely in the city itself. I mean, one of the reasons why we put the the city book together as being more of a toolkit rather than like, uh, you know, an overall, this is what Lankmar is, is because everybody, you know, everybody who's re- who reads those stories has their own, um, their, they, they see it through their own um their own prism. So we knew that if we were trying to put down the definitive version of Lankmar as each of us saw it, it would work for some people, but it would not work for far, far more people than it, than it did. Uh, so yeah, so it's a, you know, depending on what your, what your familiarity with the city is. I mean, if you grew up in San Francisco, you're going to see more of San Francisco in, in Lankmar. If you're from, you know, New York, you're going to see more of that in there, you know, or, or what have you. Or if your familiarity with the city is only what you've seen on television is going to have, you know, a, a, another interpretation that way. Oh, and there was just, there's so many wonderful characters in there that you can carry forward into a campaign. So it, while people are waiting for this box set, this is definitely one of the things they want to add as one of their add-ons because it is just so wonderful to set things up. And of course, you get another meet, but you just like Funnels, you can really never have enough meets, I think. Mm. Uh, because, well, there's no clerics in Lankmar, so uh, there's yeah, that. There's no, there's no clerics in literary Lankmar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Remember, it works It works on three different levels, and I've, you know, I've heard pushback. It's like, well, you know, if there's no funnel, I don't want to play it. Well, then there's, you know. Well, that maybe. is true. Yeah, but this this is one of those adventures that could be very well easily ported or used in a traditional DCC campaign. Just because, like you said, Michael, the DCC basis is so much you know storytelling in this manner that there's not a lot you'd have change or shifts. You, you just wouldn't do like the meets or the aspects of the rules. But this is a very DCC adventure and and would work very well as a funnel in some ways, um, more so as like a little bit more mature party that's getting their first sort of tasking to go and bind something in the city. Right. So. Oh yeah, and you know even if they had a cleric as long as everyone's level one, by the time you get pretty far in, it's going to be kind of like literary Lankmar anyway. People are going to be really trying to stretch those dice. (laughs) Well, and people that are on the fence about doing the Kickstarter or not, because maybe they're not fans of Poffer and the Grey Mouser, even though they should be. Um, (laughs) You know, a lot of times when you look at old adventures that have been published through the years by various game companies, a lot of times it was insert IP here with the serial numbers filed off. Mm -hmm. Since DC Lankmar is so cross-compatible, you can get the box set, you can file the serial numbers off and just use all of this for a regular DCC game as additional options that people have looked for, as additional adventures, as city adventures. So, I mean, certainly, like Michael said, you know, DCC Lankmar works on, on three levels, but really works on four because it just works on straight DCC as well. There's no reason for any DCC judge to pass up getting DCC Lankmar. Yeah, I mean, Lankmar itself has cast such like a shadow over fantasy role playing. I mean, every fantasy city, no matter you know whether no matter it was a commercial release or probably something you made up on your own, that has you know that is that is the shadow on the on Plato's cave wall, and uh, and you know and Lankmar has been what has been casting that shadow for you know for you know more than you know uh, since thirty whatever. Yeah, so well, certainly, just like Gary Gygax's Greyhawk is a reflection of Lankmar, just as Scott Lynch's world reflects Greyhawk, which in itself reflects Lankmar. Um, You know, Thieves' world is certainly reflective of Lankmar. Everything kind of traces back to the city. I know that uh, Gaming and BS did an episode on urban campaigns, and it was, I won't say lackluster, but they were almost pining for something like this. 
And so once the announcement was out there this past weekend, Brett and I spent easily half an hour just gushing over, oh my god, I get to do this now, and I'll, I'll be able to do this. And so, and honestly, he's not been into DCC very long. You know, his group just finally started letting him run an adventure or two. But with word of this, yeah, everybody's gearing up. And as Bob said, it's cross-platform. Right. And even if you don't want to delve into the IP part of it or the, you know, the the true story part of it, there's so many gaming tools or elements that come that you guys have created that can be ported over to your home system. Right. Right. And and shared. I think that's that's one of the best well, values you have. That's is true. That all these ideas that are going into it. There, there's level five. The uh, Some of the tools that come in the box set, I will use in perpetuity in any fantasy game I run, whether it's it's DCC or D&D Google Edition. Uh, <laughs> there, there's tools in there. There's tools in that box that as a judge when I was doing the playtest, I didn't have to do any prep. I could show up There'd be a few dice rolls from players around the table, and the game was ready to go, and all I had to do was run it. Right. Uh, I mean, DCC Lankmar makes it, it is just wonderful for a judge in that, you know, these days, not everybody has, you know, 12 to 16 hours to prep for a four-hour game on a Saturday. And the tools in Lankmar mean you don't have to have that time. And I was I was gobsmacked. I right. really was at how easy it was to run a campaign because of everything in that box. May I go on record as saying that because of Mr. Curtis, I ran my very first sandbox at a convention. Yeah. By, Yay. by doing just that. <laughs> I, I watched Bob and went, it can't be that easy. If uh, Bob can do it, it's got to be easy. And, and, and then I just had him do a couple of random rolls. They didn't know what they were rolling for, of course. Right. And just. Okay, things just sifted in and fell into place. Now, a question, Jan, is it when, uh, did you use like the adventure thread uh, concept at all? Or did you just, you know, or did you just kind of come up with initial setting and let let the, the players drive stuff? The random die rolls I had them make, I referred to the carousing table. Okay. And it was kind of a, you're, you're really not sure what you did last night, but uh <laughs> This is what you're waking up to. Congratulations. Okay, and now right. it's up to you guys to fix it. Between that, like I said, the neighborhood building section, I don't even really need a map of where they're going. I can just use the neighborhood building section and the street naming and just kind of go. Psst, mm-hmm. that it, would, that, it all just flows. That would be the city book. Right. Yes, that's all. This. <laughs> that's in the box set. Yes. <laughs> like, you keep saying that section. I'm like, it's going to be its own well, book. We should say. Well, it was say. in a binder for me. It was, <laughs> a binder. It was one big binder. Okay. <laughs> that, tabs. That's fair. That's fair. And, and you know what? Since we have you cornered, when is Secret Antiquities 2 coming out? Uh, um, we'll I, well, I'm trying to shoot that. that. I'm trying to shoot that for uh, three times a year. So, uh, mm, say you know, uh, sometimes when it gets warmer. Three times. Yeah. For those not aware, <laughs> what I'm bugging Michael Curtis about, uh, it's not Lankmar, but he's put out a, an independent publication, Secret Antiquities, and it's essentially weird and occult America. The first one was like, was it seven patrons? Yes, it was. Yeah, five, uh, five full patrons and two, uh, you know, just uh, invoke patron tables. So it's set for esoteric America, and that's really neat too. There's a lot of things pouring out of the brain of Michael Curtis, and we're lucky to try and catch all we can. Is that the first actual, quote unquote, third party release from you? Using the DCC license, yeah. Wow. 
I've written through third party stuff for, I mean, Other my, my Stonehill was, you right. know, that was, that was all for Labyrinth Lord. Uh, but you know, so, yeah, so I've done third party stuff, but you know, but, uh, this was my first for DCC. How many systems have you written for? I don't know. That's a fair <laughs> answer. When, when you get a chance to sit down and make some hash marks, let us know. What's next, miniatures? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jim Ward had it Mike, done. The Michael Curtis War Game. Yeah, yeah. There, there, it's true. There is a Jim Ward miniature. I have one. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, Mark, tell us about where we are in the 2017 edition of the Going Farmers Almanac. Well, I think since the last time we broadcasted, we've actually kicked off this year's Gong Farmer call for submissions. And so Harley came up with a idea for a theme this year that we're using to tie everything together. It's called Pandemonium. And so... You sound surprised, Mike. <laughs> yeah, because no, that, yeah, that ties everything together, you know. It's it a really tight, concise it... format. <laughs> um, so what we're asking is is folks to, you know, continue in the tradition of write what you love. Uh, we are in the business of submitting, you know, original work that the DCC community wants to, you know, that they love and they want to put together and see in a presentation back to the community as a free zine. Um, but we're also trying to, um, you know, really tap into the, the well of ideas that people have for what, what's going to be essentially a large-scale hex crawl that will be everybody coming up with the content for, you know, small hexes that are based on the concept of, uh, of, a, of a plane of hell, uh, the pandemonium where, you know, anything goes. So your hex can be anything and doesn't matter because it's going to be thematically tied in, but also linked via some uh, rules and lightweight rules that Harley's putting together for this year's zine. Oh, jeez. So we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a fun concept to go with it, and it should, uh, hopefully it'll result in a, a kind of a, a nice campaign tool for judges to take with this uh, this year's Gong Farmer. But again, we're, you know, anything that people want to submit, we're going to find a way to fit it in. So the hypercube of Stroh is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty close. What's that going to be, 12 volumes this year? Last year we got up to I think eight, eight yeah. volumes, and that was a big undertaking. And I think we're kind of with a team that we have. We, you know, we'd we'd like to keep it around that size because otherwise we're going to be stretched super thin. Hopefully, we can get as much content as we did last year. I think it was a real, real big success last year. I was really, real appreciative of the community's feedback. So. Yay! Everybody's got to chip in and get taco, like the industrial grade stapler for the uh, for the, <laughs> the pre Gen Con staple party. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we will be doing the staple party again this year. The, uh, <laughs> for folks that are interested, can go to there's a Google Plus community for the Gong Farmers Almanac and uh, ask somebody to get in, and we'll or you know will somebody will let you in and join in on the fun. Is it called the Gong Farmers Almanac community, or does it have like a cool name like like the Midden? <laughs> I mean, it's it's not quite as cool as uh, John Hersberger's or Taco's um, Gong Farmer uh, Union sixty two sixty four or whatever. <laughs> it is, but I think it's just called Gong Farmer's uh, Almanac. M Nixick is running TCC funnels from two to six p.m. every Saturday at Tacoma Games in Tacoma, Washington. Reed Sanfilippo and Shield of Faith Publishing currently have a Kickstarter going for the American Survival Guide. Everything you need for the Crawling Under a Broken Moon setting. It's already funded, and it ends April 12th. Current unlock stretch goals include the Twisted Menagerie Manual and the Children of the Sun Gazetteer by Sean Ellis. Friend of the show, Troy Tucker, is running Mythic Grease 5th Edition at the Magician's Forge in Northport, Florida. Check with the store, or find Troy Tucker on G+, or Facebook, for more information. Then, hound him to run Mythic Grease DCC, because, well, DCC. 
Yeah, uh, Troy. Can, can, I, can, I, can I ask a question? Yeah. Is, is, he's running Mythic Greece. Is that like like Mythic like Mediterranean Greece or like you know John Travolta living in John Greece? Because, um, I I think either would be awesome. Mythic Mediterranean Greece. No, I, but now I just have chariots that are Greece lightning in them. Yes, exactly. There you go. <laughs> No, don't, I, I'm giving, don't encourage I That, that sounds like the perfect con game, I think. Well, yeah, you know, uh, Michael, do you have an idea for your uh, Texas RPG? <laughs> no, no I, give that, that, I give that one to the community for free. That, you know, please take that one and go with it. <laughs> go far, far away with it, yeah. In April, the Appendix N Book Club of New York will be discussing A. Merritt's The Fox Woman and other stories. You can find Judge Jeff Goat for more info or go to the Brooklyn Strategist. Jeff also runs DCC there every other Saturday. And congrats to the judges of Marmalade Dog in Michigan, Laura Rose Williams, Clayton Williams, Will Major. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. And Keith G. Nelson. It sounds like there was a lot of Shutter Mountain, Black Powder, Black Magic, and Umerica goodness going on there. And congrats to the judges of Mace West, Michael Jones, and Kevin Hewer this past weekend for a job well done. Speaking of Michael Jones, look for him to be starting Road Crew Games in May at the Wyvern's Tale Game Store in Asheville, North Carolina. And coming up on June 1st is North Texas RPG Con, runs uh, through the 4th. And then registration for Gen Con 50 starts in May. There are a record number of DCC and related games on the schedule for this year, including the return of the DCC Open Tournaments, which is a kind of a throwback to the days of the 3.5 uh, for Goodman Games, but this time for DCC RPG. Ooh, can you tell us any more? Yeah, I can. I'm, the project is currently moving forward in a number of different ways, and there's going to be team registration this year so that you can collect your favorite five people that you want to uh, try your, your wits and your skill against the best that Goodman Games has to offer in terms of uh, a new tournament-style module that's going to be made exclusively for this year's uh, Gen Con 50. Very nice. So it should be a lot of fun. Meanwhile, in case our listeners weren't aware, uh, there's a, a Kickstarter for DCC Lankmar going. Um, <laughs> Put that in the show notes. <laughs> just, just for the record, it funded in three hours, and yeah. it's working its way through stretch goal territory. At the time of recording, the campaign has added a new adventure, and the map is now going to be printed. The Kickstarter runs through April 25th, and we are hoping to squeeze every last stretch goal out of this that we can. <laughs> Let's more, send Michael to Curtis go. to Texas. <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, the 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 map was always going to be printed. It's just going to be printed bigger now. Oh, now it's going to be bigger. Now, yeah. now has has the uh, decision been made? Is it going to be a uh, a world map or a city map or both? Um, we we're having this discussion about it. Is uh, there will, both maps will occur? Both maps will be in the box set. Um, right now, it's probably the bigger map would probably be the Lankmar map uh, hmm. because since the since the focus of the box set is uh, the city itself. But, you know, we, I definitely, there will definitely be a world map, you know, whether it's eight by 11 and a half or something or, you know, uh, but, but yeah. We're and not, one we're of not the later see. stretch goals is turning that into a cloth map. Right. Yes, which please. Which screams like Ultima 3 to me. I can't wait. Thank you. I'm... Mm, yes, yes. <laughs> I was, I was, the, I was like, oh, you mean like Ultima 3? And I didn't know how many people, you know, would remember Ultima 3. So. I'm old. Yeah, I know. So am I, but, you know. <laughs> All right, old farts, want to take this out? <laughs> it's late. 
Want to see your creation in the DCC community's only free monthly e-zine? We would love to see what sort of things you've created based on your Appendix N reading. Are you running road crew games or preparing for free RPG day? Submit your events or creations to us at the hub at sanctum.media or find us on the regular social media sites, Facebook, G+, still no love for Ello. Maybe a little Twitter, though. Keep an eye out for our future topics, and we can include your material in the show companion. We will be putting together our document of where to find free RPG Day events worldwide again this year. So please start hitting us with that information. I'm seeing it start to trickle in on G+. It's fantastic. Michael Curtis, thank you again for being our special guest, especially so close after GaryCon. I mean, it's it's Tuesday, folks. We all just got home. We've all maybe sort of slept. So thank you for coming out. Because I know how to scoop him. Thank you, Mr. Curtis. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you for having Thank me. you so much. Thank you. And uh, and if you're listening to this, you should stop listening now and go pledge more money to send me to Texas. All right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you should have been doing that like an hour ago. So go up your pledge. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, Jen, do you have have any final words for our listeners? I just want to say thank you, Michael Curtis, and um, really looking forward to this Kickstarter and the success it's already had. So congratulations. Thank you. And Mike, you you know, all the love, all the respect, man, with, with this thing, and all the thanks to anyone who may have been slightly put off by my exuberance this past week. Now you know why. <laughs> <laughs> and while normally we end the show with with the uh, tagline of "Be inspired," I think it's thanks to Michael Curtis bringing to life the works of Fritz Leiber that we have been inspired. So thank you very much, everybody, and have a great evening. Absolutely. Good night. Bye. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum podcast. Join us again next time when the Sanctum opens to reveal Paul Anderson's Three Hearts and Three Lions. The Sanctum Socorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2017.